if you want to go word for word, uh, it's about 154 times it shows up in Scripture. But the term God is great only shows up once in Scripture, and it's in the oldest book of the Bible, only next to the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch are the first five books of the Bible that Moses was privileged to write as God told him what to write. And uh, how would you like to be in that position where you inscribed how your, your, your ancestors were going to be handled? I mean, it was pretty tough for him. And he, uh, he had the privilege of being inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen those words down. Uh, and so then you had Moses. He wrote the first five books of the Bible. And the book of Job is where Job 36, 26. If you want to open up your Bible, open up to Job Job 36, 26. And... Uh, You'll see in Job 36, 26, the term God is great. Uh, would you read that for us? Yeah, stand up and read that for us, please. Behold, God is great, and we know him not. Neither can the number of his years be established. Thank you, brother. Dear Lord, we thank you for the privilege to meet here this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to be blessed by your word. We just ask that you continue to work and let it work in our lives that we may be glorified by it and glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray and ask, amen. So we see the only time we see the word God is great, but over 4,000, nearly 5,000 times, it's implied that God is great in your scriptures. We're going to learn the song, and when I get to point three of this message, it's Psalms 48, verses 1 and 2. Some of you have already picked the verses up. You've showed them to me. And we're going to sing that one more time, and then we'll have the song. Thank you, Brother Jay, for arranging the services. I feel more comfortable with that. gives us a little more time to contemplate on that. It's a little more uh, having the song at the end of the service. And for people that come in and visit, it's time for them to run out and start their cars and all kinds of other things. And if you're, you're, you know, go grab your shoes. And like a preacher once said, it's time to put on your shoes, ladies. You know, you can slide back into those tight shoes. <laughs> so the last song is for that, and it's an opportunity for you to contemplate on God's Word. And if you have questions or feel under conviction, you can grab a hold of somebody else and uh, evaluate what God wants from your, you in this Sunday morning message. Okay, Job. I started to explain to you that the book of Job is considered one of the, the oldest book in the Bible, other than the Pentateuch, and one of the reasons it's justifiably considered one of the oldest books in the Bible, there's no mention about kings in that book. There's no mention about organized government in that book. There's no mention of, uh, of well, there talks about dinosaurs in there, really, but there's a lot in the book of Job that indicates it was written probably at the same time or very close to the time that Moses penned the, the Pentateuch for us. That's a fancy name for the first five books of Scripture. And so in, the first, in that book of Job, we have the exact declaration of God is great. And that's what it's all about, isn't it? God is great. Amen? Amen. And God is great. So now let's turn back. And I talked about the word implied. When is the first time in Scripture that I really disagree with this 
5,000, 4,600 and some odd and a piece of change times that God's mentioned in Scripture as being great. I think the first time he's mentioned in Scripture as being great is in Genesis 1-1. 1 1 and 1 2. You almost see the entire Trinity there, but it's not quite introduced. Oh, preacher, he's in the Old Testament. He's going to be all day preaching now because he started in the Old Testament. He's got to work his way all the way up to, you know, the New Testament. Well, John, Genesis 1 1, would you read that for us, brother? Stand up and read 1 and 1, 1 and 1 2. Amen. Spirit of God. You see the part of the Trinity there right now. You go to a Mormon, and right here you can, you can argue Trinity with him. Start arguing Trinity. And he'll go, oh, this is Old Testament. Okay, go over to John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh in John 1.14 and dwelt among us. There's the Trinity. The whole thing's right there. And who's great? Who could make this world? Sat toe-to-toe with an individual this week and talked about who made this world. Have you thought about it? Who made it? You can argue with the fellow that talks about this world being developed over millions and millions of years, and that's not how. Okay, where did it start? Let's go back. Let's go back. Okay, let's... Where did it start? Well, you know, this dust blew up, and then we all walked out of a puddle of water, and the frogs, and the poles, and all this. I says, okay, who made that? Oh, well, dust, you know, it's all around the universe. Mars is made out of it. You know, who made that? Where did that come from? There's a big bang theory, you know, it all blew up. Well, it will. You read your Bible, it's going to all blow up one day. Amen. Yeah, and talk about, you talk about the... uh, You talk about the global warming, if you want to get scientific about things, talk about global warming, yeah, it's going to burn. We're going to burn one day. But in Scripture, it talks about how we're going to have, until the end of time, until Christ comes again, we're going to have spring, summer, and the seasons. I'll get the verse when I get back to my notes for you. But I have a nice nice time arguing with people about abortion. If you want to get scientific about when life begins, open up your... 8th grade, 6th grade biology book, and ask, what's life? What, what does life begin? Well, for things to have life, they have to be able to multiply, reproduce, and sustain some kind of functions. When does that happen in the womb? <laughs> Child in the womb is on his way to being reproduced. He has functions right in lo- the life itself begins at conception. It doesn't begin at air, because you can name a few things if you think about it that the, the abortionists will argue, oh, it's not alive till it breathes. You can argue that statement. Oh, ah, uh, then you don't like fish either. Uh, you don't like amoebas. You don't like all kinds. Of, you can name off thousands of things that don't breathe air. Don't limit it. It's when it has the ability to reproduce itself and grow. Grass reproduces itself and grows. You name it, algae does. doesn't necessarily breathe. So when does algae become alive? Okay, when does life begin in the womb? 
it starts to multiply itself and and uh, and uh, has the ability to grow. That's all you need. And uh, so let's get back to science. If you're going to argue with somebody, practicalities of the matter. That's what Job did when he was arguing with his people. The people that came to him in self-righteousness tried to convince him that he was that he was not right with God. And he said, God's great. No one is right with God. God created the heavens and the earth. And at one time in the book of Job, if you read it, he comes to a point with, with God and he says, you know, God says to him, who made the wind? Who made the stars? Who made the oceans? Who made the things that walk and crawl? And Job is speechless. So if you want to argue science against God, it won't pay off. It will not pan out. You want to argue creation with God in Genesis, the fact that the way the whole Bible is put together, especially Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 and 1-3 chapters and all the rest, the first five, six chapters, all lay out biologically how life produces itself. You know, we didn't get cows. God didn't make cows and then grass came along. He made the grass and then cows next. And it tells you in the Bible, you know which come first? Chicken or the egg? Neither. The rooster came first. Because he made male and then female. It tells you the answer. So, so that's, that's kind of it. But the first time I believe God is implied as being great is in your Bible when you open up to your book and read Genesis 1, 1 through 2, three, four, five, right on, and you'll see by his word, by his breath, everything came into existence. By his breath, there was day and night. By his breath, the seas parted. By his breath, everything came into existence. And do you know what you got in your hand? His breath. The Bible means God breathed. You have God's power in your hands. You're only limited to that power by how much you can be uh, obedient to it. You want power with God? It's laying in your hands. You want to see your mother saved? It's laying in your hands. You want to see your brother converted? It's laying in your hands. You want to you experience eternal life? It's laying in your hands. So you're not limited by anything other than your understanding and your perception, and your willingness, because you can't accomplish everything in that book. You know. but, and I'm reminded of the fellow that used to say, oh, I take my Bible literal. I do absolutely everything that goes in it. Every morning I have my devotions. I just let it fall open, and I put my finger down. And he said, I did this until my finger fell on. i got to write the verse down, Matthew 27, 5. You know what Matthew 27, 5 says? Judas went out and hanged himself. <laughs> and then he says, well, I took an exception to that. And I went to the, I just tried it again. And he put his finger down and he went to Luke 3, 311, I think it is. Yeah, I know, the, I know the way it goes, but I don't always get the right verses down. Luke 311. You know what Luke 311 says? Go and do thou likewise. <laughs> so we have to go by implied interpretation and exact interpretation when we're studying God's Word. The Lord convicted me of that when I was telling you about the uh, 
the little chart here, and I will have a haircut when I come back in September. Or yeah, September would be nice. Uh, I will have a haircut. But we draw a line on the board, we put a positive and a negative, and we look at every verse. If you want to find out how God feels about snakes, just write it down. And God says, oh, that's negative about snakes. And from Genesis to Revelations, he's very consistent in his word. He'll tell you all about snakes and serpents and the dragon and the devil. You won't find much over here. You want to know how he feels about how you're doing in your life and what you're doing in your life? Look it up in God's word. Talk about power. I believe it's every one of our responsibilities as Christians and as a pastor especially to instill you the tools you need to understand and grow in God's word. And so you're going to hear some of these simple little uh, illustrations that I'm going to give you from time to time unless you don't want to. I mean, if you don't want to, you don't have to even try it. But I'm going to encourage every one of you, because you've grown so much, I can see it. You have some understanding of God's word. I don't want to see you confused. So it's my duty to guard over that position. I'm talking to you what a pastor does. Guard over that position and instill in you the tools. I want to work myself out of business. I've started several churches, and my goal is to work myself out of business every time I go there. As soon as they get enough together to tithe and they start practicing God's word in other regards, it takes about seven years. So in regards to how long I might be here, I don't know. The Lord's given me a project here that's a lot better than just trying to teach you people how to tithe. It's an awesome responsibility, and people are uh, a good bunch of people. And so I want to continue to bless you with God's word here. And that's what I'm about. So let's go to, to Job. I explained to you a little about Job. I explained to you about the implied greatness of God. Talked about global warming. Talked about trees. I talked about Job's. I haven't talked about Job's thankfulness. Of course, if you don't believe in God, and you believe were those little bugs that crawled up out of the carpet one day were from them, uh, you have trouble being thankful for what you have. You have trouble. Our brother talked about that a little bit in Sunday school uh, last week about being grateful for God and God's word. I just explained to you, explained to you as, as basically as I could that you have the power of the universe in your hands. You have the book in your hands. You have the creator's mind at your fingertips. You have God's will in your life at your fingertips. It's how much you want to delve into it, how much you want to understand about it, how much you want to practice it. It only limits your power, only limits your success in life. I've been fortunate. I've been very successful in a lot of things I've tried. And when I've gotten to the top, I always remember what Paul said, I count all things but dung except for Christ. He wants you to be good at what you do. He wants you to have success at what you're at. He wants you to become accomplished. And he wants you to do it through his word. I've seen successful men in all walks of life, and they've taken it, whether they've known it or not, whether they were God-fearing or not. And that's one thing I'll say about our last president. He was not a saved, born-again Christian, but he at least was God-fearing. And he was willing to practice or allow the practice of other things of God. 
And it was his, his cooperation. He was the Nebuchadnezzar of our last of this last generation. He was he became successful. He'll tell you that in his books. Because he imitated God's plans. He practiced them whether he believed them or not. I know successful Jews that have no regard for Jesus Christ at the top of their game in their fields because they practice biblical principles, even though they don't quite believe as we do as Christians. God will honor that. So you take the guy who's unsaved, and, you, and God honors his word even amongst that person. What's he going to do with you, who he calls a child and a fellow laborer in Christ? What's he going to do with your life as you turn it over to him and as you practice his principles in your life? You're going to be successful. You're going to be powerful. You're going to see your nieces and nephews saved. You're going to see your sons and daughters saved. I, my mother struggled with salvation all her life. Six hours before she died, you heard it, and you'll probably hear it again when I preach on uh, uh, the Great Commission. Six hours before she died, she accepted Christ as a personal Savior. How, I says, God, how can you do it? I can't even, for 23 years, I couldn't talk to her. Nothing. Couldn't mail nothing to her. Couldn't send nothing. Nothing. Out of the house, out of the family. She accepted Christ as a personal Savior six hours before she died. I came there, and I was present when she did. You, and that only comes from trusting God and doing your best. I'm not no Superman, and you certainly aren't either. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, right? And, but I tried, and he knew I gave it my best shot. And I took and trusted his word. I changed my life around his word. I, my grandchildren suffer because of some of the sacrifices my family has gone through for God's word. Talk about being homeless. We've been homeless many times. We're homeless right now. And uh, that's why I won't be here the 20th. You'll decide whether I'm homeless or not the 20th. All right? I'd get too emotional. I might come up, if this guy wasn't so big and strong, you know, we'd have a real wrestling match. But that is what I put myself in God's hands and he's changing and working in my life as well as he's ready to work in your life. I've taught in a seminary. I've, I know God's word. He's telling me right now, you better practice it. Practice what you preach, right? And you better, you know, now let's see you apply it to your life. That's what he's doing with each one of you. Yeah, you're like the kid, that, we're all like the kid in the candy store, or like kid mom, can I, can I have this, can I have that? Well, you haven't used what I gave you the first time. There's the joke I'm looking to put in. Here it comes. The preacher's coming to a church, and he's looking to get, he's auditioning, or he's candidating to be the preacher there. And he preaches this wonderful, beautiful, inspiring message, you know, and uh, the guys get together, oh, we got to have him. He's great. He does it all right. And he gets there, and the next Sunday, they have him up. He's the pastor, and he preaches the same message. Well, maybe he got his notes mixed up. Maybe he had a mistake. Preaches the same message. And then, yeah, we'll let him go. Next Sunday, he comes back up. Open your Bibles. Same message. And he goes, and he goes uh, we got to do something. we got to talk to him. So they, 
Ask him, what, what are you doing? Same message. He says, when you get that one right, we'll move on to the next one. So it's your turn to move on to the next one. Let's try it. We got to all get it together and move on to the next one. We got to build our faith. Nobody's arrived. Nobody here has the handle. I don't have the handle. I bared my heart to you and told you that I am in the process of moving on to the next one. I'm as excited as everything. One of those things is, is I'm going to distribute scripture all over this island, whether you're behind me or not. But <laughs> I will still join the church and I will act out of those regards if, in fact, you don't want me to be the pastor. If I am your pastor, I will continue to go on with plan B and, and we'll do it together. And I will do it together either way. I'll give everybody an opportunity. But that's what life's about. That's what our Christian walk in faith is about. That's what we as Christians need to strive to do as a unit, as a group. Pastor and I talked and visited. He felt I was called here. I felt I was called here. I says, and I think I told, talked to Brother Jay yesterday. Got all carried away at a kitchen table. It was wonderful. Can't push. I can leave. You have to follow if you want. So the 20th, you'll make your decision. This is not about the 20th. This is about God being great. This is about me putting myself aside. I've got a doctorate in divinity. I've got a master's of science. I've got a bachelor of theology, and I have a bachelor of science, too. Did I catch them all? i got a bunch of those funny initials. And I'm humbling myself at this point in my life to see what God has for me. I'm asking you today, no matter where you're at today, God wants you, as they talked about in Sunday school, to humble yourself and see what God has for you to do. He wants you to look into his word and experience his power and his grace and his exaltation and his authority all at your fingertips in God's word. So if you want to sum up God being great, it could be summed up. He's in your lap. He is great. His word is great. His word is the final authority. I looked at your church constitution. I didn't have to go any further than the first par paragraph to see where you kind of stood as a church as far as God being great. He's the final authority. He's the chain of command. He's the top. The buck stops here, all that good stuff. He's at the <laughs> big pay grade, right? And pay grade made all possible by his son who humbled himself and became a little lower than the angels. And you want to see how great God is, how much he loves each one of us. He took his only begotten son. Most of the new translations don't even use that word begotten in there. And he took, that begotten means his only. There's no more, there's no less. Okay, what's that do for the Mormons? Makes a big hole in that plan. All you got to do is take them over there and show. I sat next to a Mormon all the way here on the airplane, okay? That's where that comes from. Nice man, wonderful, God-fearing man. He was not a Christian. Okay, but God loves you so much that that only begotten son, his flesh and blood in, in the flesh, we should say, and his blood were healed by the blood, were healed in many more ways than one by the blood, do you know the President of the United States is getting blood transfusions now every time he comes up in front of you and talks? That's how he combats his uh, deficiencies right now. The biggest thing amongst, amongst filthy rich people is you go in and you get somebody, some youth to give your type of blood, 
and you get a complete blood, as much as you can handle blood transfusion before you go to work on Monday or before you talk to the whole nation and tell them what your plans are for everybody's soul but yours. Okay. That's what God's about. Power's in the blood. He took that and he took it down here to earth and he, he took that son. How you like the looks. Some of these kids I could see daddy and, and her and I could see mama and them. He did that. And he says that poor little lady had to suffer but the Holy Spirit, we, we gave that child and he gave it for you. He doesn't want to push himself on you. He gave him to you. He gave, Jesus Christ, when he died, he, didn't, he said it was finished. But he gave up the ghost. He didn't have to die on that cross. He could have said, okay, we went through it. You know I'm suffering. I'm out of here. <laughs> no, he came back for more. He even raised again on the third day. This, this planet wasn't fun for him. He was made lower than the angels. He humbled himself. Jesus Christ loved you. God the Father loved you. The Holy Spirit is involved in all that relationship. And he wants, they want to empower you in your daily walk. And it's all sitting there. So how great is God? He's so great that he loved you enough to give you a free choice of whether you wanted to take his only son on as your helpmate, as your partner. He loved you so much that he made it possible, regardless of how you lived and how you were, to get to heaven. But he also made it so good that once you know he loved you so much that once you did realize you could go to heaven, he told you how to run your life. He shows you in his word how to run your life, that you'll be successful. I don't know how you term success. I've seen people term success as simple as freedom. I've seen... People term term success as simple as having a wife that loved them. I've seen people term success as simple as uh, being able to eat the next day. But he's provided that power in your word as you trust in him because he gave himself, he gave his son for your success. That's how much he loved you. And as far as that relationship goes, it's likened to the church. Jesus Christ is the bride. And, uh, you know, i got to straighten that up. I always hold those guys. Jesus Christ, and I'm surprised I haven't knocked that thing off yet. I just, uh, he loves you so much, he likens it to the bride. Oh, you know, uh, I see it in your Constitution, some things in there about eternal security and, uh, and Calvinism and all kinds of things in your Constitution. I don't know who put those in there. Uh, I don't know when it was written. They're all good things. They're things man's done. But God loves you so much. He, I liken it to the relationship of you and the church. Or God, Jesus Christ of the church. He didn't ask you this morning to come here, did he? But he's happy you did. You didn't ask me to come here, but I'm happy. I'd like to think you're happy I did. But uh, your husband, your bride, your spouse came to you one day and said, would you marry me? Would you spend the rest of your life with me? Would you build a relationship with me? Would you believe my words? And you had the opportunity, whether you're male or female, to follow in that regard, didn't you? 
And God is tickled to death when you come to church on Sunday. He's hurt when you're not there. He's tickled to death when you go, no thanks for me, if it's something evil. He's tickled to death when you make sacrifices for him, small or large. He's tickled to death when you endeavor and you communicate with him. But he wants it all on your back. He could make you, couldn't he? But he's just like yours. You I didn't come up to that lady, and I'm going to brag now, about 50 years ago. I didn't come up to that lady and go, marry me. It's, it's destiny. She just said, you're nuts. Now she knows it. But she, she said, I had to come up to her and ask her. Even though I felt in my heart it was destiny. Now, I'm getting around to a little subject that just come to me. That's why I'm here in front of you today. That's why Pastor and I made the decision a long time ago. Not a long time ago, but a while ago. This is killing me. But I'm like the guy on his knees. <laughs> and I'm going, okay, let's get, let's get hooked up. Let's move forward. I will not hold it against you. It wouldn't be right if I loved that woman and she said no. So I'm not trying to pressure you. I'm just trying to relate the situation. You're, as much as you're happy that your spouse married you, vice versa, verse visa, Jesus Christ is happy that you've accepted him. He could have come down here and said, all right, this is done. Fall in line. Get the old bat jacket I seen when I, in Vietnam. Don't tell me I'm going to hell. I've already been there. He could have fixed that all in one quick story. But that's not the way your book is laid out. You want God's power. You're going to have to make decisions every day how much you want of him and how much you'll allow him into your life. God is great. And just the fact that he is great should be manifested in the very principles we've just explored here. He doesn't... He's got your spouse somewhere. I get people all the time coming to me, good people. You got. I'm looking for a spouse. Well, God's got someone prepared for you. Maybe, I can't say, he might want you to serve single. He might want you just to be single. Uh, that's not the structure of his church, but that might be the structure for your life, and you can yield to him in those regards. God loves you so much. He gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that doesn't start, that everlasting life doesn't start when you go up into heaven. That everlasting life starts the minute you marry him. It starts. And that's the question before some of you today is, where are you with everlasting life? Let's all stand. I'm going to bore you for a few more minutes, and they're going to get up. They can get up and get your instruments ready. And we're going to close here. We could go down and express how none of us are righteous, no, not one. None of us are worthy. My wife, I wasn't worthy to marry my wife. I'm tickled to death yet that she married me. None of us can come to God and say, hey, I've made it. The, Nick, the man in John chapter 3, the, the Jewish rabbi, came to him, and God said, you've got to be born again. And gave him that choice. You have the, such a great God, he's given you a choice right now. If you're not right with him right now, he's given you a choice to not only get saved, he's given you a choice 
to mend some fences right now. He's given you a choice to expand that relationship with him. He's given you that choice to read that book you have in your hands. Pick it up this week. My wife was looking for a Bible today, and I was teasing her. I said, oh, it's got to be wherever you were last Sunday. <laughs> Look at it now. Well, I said, then I, nah, maybe you had it Wednesday night. <laughs> Take that thing and talk to God right now and tell him, hey, I'd like to, I'd like to read this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Just try three days this week. See what he does with you. See where he's at with you. See what kind of power he'll give you. And he will give you power. It's all there. He is so great, it doesn't bother him to give it out. And he wants each one of us to be in that same position. Isn't it wonderful? You have an opportunity this week to share God's word, to share God's power with somebody else, if you're so inclined, if he leads you to it. I'll tell you, brother, don't pray about it, because he'll do it. I challenge people all over the world, just ask God, and he will deliver you. He'll give you someone to talk to. He'll put something in your path. He'll do it if you're sincere about it. He loves you, and he blesses you. I'm so hoping that each one of us have had an opportunity to examine ourselves a little bit. I apologize again for being so... Uh, talking about myself more than I would rather talk about my creator but it was part of the it wasn't part of the sermon it was just part of the experience and it says we will kill the devil we will be able to my bible says that if you uh I'm going through verses in my head uh resist the devil he'll flee from you and if you uh if you will overcome him It'll be by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. So you got them both this morning. The blood of the Lamb, explanation of salvation in the form of how great God is. He humbled his only begotten son to die for you. And you've got my testimony to testify against that. And that's scriptural too because it says by the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. That's why you don't get haywire on just one verse like Judas went out and hung himself. Dear Lord, I thank you for these wonderful people here this morning. I uh, ask that you bless each and every one of them in your own way and that you help them as they try to help themselves and you help them as they try to help others. We thank you for this wonderful country we live in. I thank you for this wonderful church, and I thank you for God's precious people right here. Everyone here is a precious gift that your son died for. Uh, may you work in their lives and may you bless each one. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.